Good morning, church. Those of you here in the room, those of you joining us online, how was your Christmas? Yeah? Was it peaceful? Yeah. Did you get everything that you wanted? No. <laughs> uh, if you did, I mean, praise God, that's wonderful. We're, we're delighted for you. But I imagine for some of you at least, the days after Christmas can be a little bit of a letdown, can't they? I mean, we put so much effort into the celebration, and sometimes the anticipation doesn't quite live up to the reality. So much of the fun of Christmas is about the anticipation. Lots of work to do, so we, we start early. There's, there's the lights and the songs and the Hallmark movies. There's the decorating and the Christmas cookies and the gifts. And did I mention the Christmas cookies? I love Christmas cookies. <laughs> I mentioned earlier uh, in, this, in the season that I, I love Christmas socks. And so I got like a dozen pairs. So I'm just putting it out there. I love Christmas cookies. In fact, I, I brought a bunch with me today. I thought I'd pass them around. Here we are. Uh, Carlos, could I, could I presume on you? There's a whole bunch more there. If you want to pass those around, if nothing else, I want you to feel like, hey, we came to church on the first Sunday of the new year and we got fed. The days following Christmas, the, the big event, the big day comes. And as great as it may be, when it's over, we're left sort of wondering what now? What comes next? The day after Christmas, well, COVID is still here. My aging pets still wake us up five times a night, every night. And despite all the manipulations of the calendar, Glenn and I are still eligible for the seniors rebate at Shoppers Drug Mart starting this year. <laughs> and we're looking forward to it. A little bit of Metamucil and some Bengay and we'll be all set. <laughs> hey, whether you're here in the room with us or you're joining us online today, uh, we want to acknowledge that Christmas brings with it every year a whole mixture of emotions, some of them delightful some of them painful. And whatever you bring, whatever's in the mix for you, we're glad that you've come. And we're glad that you've joined us. However you show up, uh, you belong here. Today I want to look at some of the things that can help us when we face the days following the big day. What happens after the big event, after, after it's over? What is it that, that follows Christmas? Every Sunday, the Sunday after Christmas, uh, this is called, and this is not the official name, just kind of the inherited name. This is called Low Sunday. I, I think it used to have to do with attendance, but it often has something to do with mood. What do you do after you've been to the mountaintop, after the moment of greatest celebration? What comes next? So that's what we're going to do a little bit today. Let's start by going back and considering some of the high points of the Christmas story, just really rapidly. You remember, of course, that it had been a long time since God's people had perceived that God was speaking directly to them. It had been about 400 years since they felt like God had spoken. And then suddenly the silence ends, and God starts showing up in all of these mind-blowing predictions. An angel appears, says, Elizabeth, you're going to have a son. At long last, the son you've waited for, he's here, and he's going to lead the way for something even bigger. Angel shows up again, says, Mary, you too are going to have a son. 
And get this, the Father is going to be God himself and he's going to save the world. Wow. I mean, that's, that's crazy, isn't it? More angels appear. It begins to feel like angels are there lurking around every corner. They appear now out in a, out in a field, group of farmhands, sheep herders, terrified, humble servants of the God, of God as, as an angel army appears in the heavens and then cries out to them, giving them the most amazing of news. Something has happened. It happened right nearby. You should go check it out. And they do. And they're amazed. A little while later, a group of, well, magi, astronomers, wise men, they're following this astronomical oddity, a persistent star. They think it, it points to something dramatic happening in the world. They want to know more. And they follow the trail. And eventually it leads them to Mary and to Joseph and the baby who inspires them so much that, that they give those three famous gifts. So much anticipation, so, so much excitement about the nativity of God, about the birth of Jesus. Finally, after all of these centuries of silence, God is speaking, God is acting. You can imagine for those who are in the know, the celebrations, the high fives, the triumph, the, the moment of just sheer elation, God is at work in our world. But I wonder what the next day looked like. For the shepherds, they made their way to Bethlehem. They saw everything that God had done. What then? Did they go back to their fields? What about those wandering magi? Did they go back home? Ordinary time is not easy time. And nobody knew that more than Mary and Joseph. Because for, for them, life became perilous after Jesus was born. What happens after the moment when God intervenes so spectacularly. You imagine that Jesus stands up in his crib, an infant or a toddler starts doing baby miracles, blessing people with chubby little arms raised aloft. A lot of artists did. I mean, for centuries, we have these depictions, these portraits, uh, these analogies set in stained glass or porcelain or stone. Jesus with a halo over his head, the baby Jesus, working miracles, people leaving, blessed. We have three kids. Our kids never did anything like that. They had a lot of fun in their crib, but they they weren't miracle workers. We don't actually have any record of Jesus doing things like that, but it seems kind of like things just went back to normal after Christmas. Shepherds in the field, wise men back home, Mary and Joseph trying to find a safe way to raise this child who now has a target on his back because the wise men inadvertently outed him to Herod. So now they're fleeing for their lives. But eventually they settle into a home and they just go about the day-to-day tasks of raising a child. We have very few, only a couple of little snapshots of Jesus' life in between that moment that momentous moment, Christmas, and when he appears again 30 years later. During the intervening space of time, it was, as far as we can tell, normal life, everyday life. And I was reflecting this week on how it must have been for those few people, Mary, Joseph, Elizabeth, shepherds, wise women, those few people who were in the know, who knew what God was doing, when they saw all of these epic events 
And then just watched as things went back to normal. And for three decades, it all felt routine. I mean, maybe it was all a dream, but they get back to their lives and and did they forget what had happened? What is it that you do in between the moment when your hopes are kindled and that time when your hopes are finally fulfilled? How do you live in the in-between times? Because that's kind of where we live now, isn't it? And it's important because if you get it wrong, it just leads to disillusionment and disappointment. Ultimately, I think, missing out on the life that God has in mind for you. And you can either believe that it's all wishful thinking, or you can trust that the same God who is at work on the mountaintop is at work in the ordinary events of day-to-day life. Throughout Advent, you know, we've been looking at some of the big gifts of Christmas, the, the intangible gifts, love, joy, hope, peace. Actually, they're not intangible, are they? They're as tangible as anything. They just don't come wrapped up in tinsel and bows. To that list, the gifts of Advent, love, joy, hope, peace, I want to add one more word this morning. It may be the central word of, uh, of our journey with Jesus. And you know the word. The word is faith. Because faith is the biblical response to life in the in-between times. Between, between when hope is given and hope is fully realized. The Bible puts it this way. Hebrews 11 verse 1. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for an assurance about what we do not see. Will you read that with me? Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It's being sure of a promise, even when you don't always see everyday evidence that something is happening. It's an ongoing trust that God will sustain us while we wait. You know, in in more ecclesiastical traditions, high church, you know, Anglican church, Lutheran church, the moments on the, on the church calendar, in between the big mountaintop events, Christmas and Easter and Pentecost, the rest of those days are called ordinary time. You flip through your schedule, the church calendar. Some of you will know this. You have a Catholic background. You know that when you're not celebrating Easter, Christmas, or Pentecost, You are in ordinary time. I love that expression, ordinary time. Most of our life is ordinary time. This this sort of waiting room in history. It's the day after the big event, but before all the promises are fully realized. It's ordinary time. And in ordinary time, the one religious attribute, the one sacred virtue that God's people are asked to cultivate, is faith. So for the next few minutes, we're going to unpack this single verse, Hebrews 11, verse 1, and ask what it means, what it looks like to live in faith. And here's the first thing. If you have your, your finger in that verse, you remember it talks about confidence. The first thing is that you have confidence in what it is that you hope for. Another word for confidence is trust. Faith without trust is not faith. Belief without reliance is an empty thing. Lots of people can believe facts, religious facts. They believe in things about Jesus. But knowing some things, some facts to be true is not the same thing as faith. The biblical definition of faith requires trust in and a commitment to the facts about Jesus. 
Another way to say it is, do we really trust God? Do we trust him not just in the big moments, but in the ordinary moments in between? Do you believe that God cares for you and has the power and desire to make, th- make things right in your life and to make things right in the world? Am I willing to live my life in such a way that the decisions that I make are informed by the reality of who God is and what God is about in the world, that I know these things are true and I live knowing they are true. Because without that, I think that the, the layers of disappointment or disillusionment that life will pile in on people will eventually just press hope out to the edges and eventually it'll just drop off. When we put our hopes in things that cannot sustain them, the result is is not just pain, because life is always going to have painful moments. It's not just pain, but it's it's hopelessness. When I was younger, I worked as a youth pastor. Many of us did, and I know Sheldon did. One of the uh, one of the key tools in the Swiss Army knife of any youth pastor's kit is the trust fall. Right? You know this exercise. Somebody stands up on a log, and in an act of trust, they close their eyes and they fall backwards, and they fully expect that everybody else around them, all the other members of the group, are going to catch them on the way down. It's a great exercise, right? You've done this. Some of you have done this. You know what I'm talking about, at least. We would do this. We would do this in our senior high group on retreat. It was fantastic. It was a living illustration of what it meant to trust somebody. The act of falling, knowing that your life was now out of your hands and it was in the hands of others who were going to catch you before you hit the ground. It worked great. So I decided I was going to do it with the junior highs. <laughs> so we went on retreat. We had, you know, junior highs, like the, the girls are this tall, the guys are this tall. And, uh, and we had them all gathered out there around the log and we're going to do this and it was going fantastic. And I thought, well... To really solidify this, I need to go too. Like, I need to be part of this. And we're building some, some great community here. And so here I was, trust fall on the edge of the branch. I'm kind of a big guy. Right? And, and so my moment came. Eyes closed, arms fall, folded, falling backwards. And I felt a rush of, of hands and arms brush over me just before I felt the cold earth. Bang! And looked around as the whole youth group scattered. I mean, they just ran, ran away. When we we put it back together and decided everything was okay, we actually learned more from that exercise than any previous incarnation. Here's what we learned. That, that what you trust in matters. That... that Placing trust isn't enough, that you have to place trust in something that cannot be lost. And if you place your trust in something that cannot sustain it, you're headed for a fall. In some ways, the life of faith is an ongoing trust fall, except that God doesn't let his people drop. And the simple, obedient life is the life lived in the confidence that God is trustworthy. Even when things don't go our way, that God is still trustworthy. It was Mother Teresa who reminded people constantly that all God is asking of us is to do small things, 
It doesn't have to be mountaintop achievements. Do small things. Do them in love because we trust that God will work in the small stuff, in the ordinary stuff, in order to achieve things that will be big in the end. And we live with the assurance, not just there's confidence around this, but the assurance that there are things that we do not see that might eclipse the things that we do. That faith changes our vision. That we see things differently. We don't just take things at face value. We look deeper. On Friday, right in front of me here, was a casket. And in the casket was our dear friend, Elaine. On Wednesday, it will be Hugh. Later this month, it will be Thelma. And in each case... We want to, we need to be able to say the same things. That what we see here is not all that there is. That the casket is not the end of our story. That there is an unseen reality that is beautiful and sacred and hope-filled and necessary. Here's how the Apostle Paul put it. If you want to follow along, this is in 2 Corinthians verse 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. He says, therefore... We don't lose heart. Even though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary troubles, these things are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. What we see is only temporary. What is unseen is eternal. Living by faith means we focus on the things that God is doing even when we don't see them. Those things matter. Those things last. Our current circumstances, good or bad, hard or easy, and the state of the world, optimistic or pessimistic, those things are never the whole story of what God is doing. And we know this from Jesus because Jesus had a way of looking at people And he saw in them the full story again and again and again. He didn't just see was at face value. He didn't just see a woman of poor reputation. He saw in Mary a woman of strength and grace and love who go on to become one of the leaders of the early church. He didn't just see a greedy tax collector. He saw in Zacchaeus a model of generosity who would inspire and serve and act as a benefactor for the church. He didn't just see a failed disciple who couldn't keep his promises. He saw Peter, the rock, the person upon whom his church would be built. We live by faith, which means we learn to see people and see the world the way that Jesus did, through eyes of faith. And we know that our circumstances, however pleasant or painful, are only ever temporary. And that there is an eternity of glory ahead. And biblical faith is always looking forward. In Hebrews chapter 1, if you still have a finger in the book of Hebrews, there's a list of people, one of the many biblical lists, a list of well-known Old Testament characters. You could call them heroes of the faith. And in this pantheon of heroes, Abraham, Sarah, David, Samuel, the prophets, we see them held up not so much because of their achievements, but because of their persistence. Their persistence in what? In faith, in faithfulness. They're heroes 
because they never lost sight of what was unseen. They were faithful. They never lost sight of how God was at work in the world, even when they didn't see it fulfilled in their own lifetime. This is what the scripture says about them. This is Hebrews in chapter 1, verses 13 to 16. It said, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things that were promised to them. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were still like foreigners and strangers on the earth. Hebrews goes on, it says, the people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. And if they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. And he has prepared a place for them, just like you and me. That pantheon, all those heroes of the faith were longing for a day when everything they hoped for would be fulfilled. And they had a faith that looked forward to those things even when their present didn't give evidence. Maybe like Abraham and Sarah, they lived their whole life not expecting to see those promises fulfilled. But for people of faith, They measure life on a scale that doesn't end in a wooden box, in a church, on a day when everybody around them is weeping. For people of faith, life here on earth is only one stage, a temporary stage in a long and beautiful journey. 2 Corinthians 13, for now we see only dimly, like a reflection in the mirror, but there will come a day when we see him Face to face. Now I know only in part, but there will come a day when I know him fully, even as I am fully known. Well, there's another Christmas coming, isn't there? And I don't mean that just because we're going to go home this week and and drag a dry tree out to the curb and pack up the ornaments and get ready for something 11 and a half months from now. No, there, if Christmas is the appearance of God in the world in the form of Jesus, then Christmas is coming again. Jesus is coming again. And for those who are faithful and have eyes to see it, there will be singing and there will be rejoicing. I pray there's lots of Christmas cookies. Did those all get around? Yeah, send them around again. I don't need them back. There will be presents, but presents of the best kind. When wrongs will be undone. When things get healed. When disease gets pushed away. When justice, the prophets cried for, when justice will roll down like mighty rivers and broken relationships will be restored and the presence of God will be felt in all of its fullness and no more mourning or crying or pain and God wiping away the tears from every eye. That's what looks it looks like when Christmas finally comes and Jesus returns. Until the day comes, The first Christmas gives us the promise that we're not alone, that Jesus is still present in everyday life. And so we get to pray with with the great worship leaders of the past. And I want to pray for you these words from the Psalms. This is Psalm 73. It says, Yet I am always with you, and you hold me by my right hand. 
You guide me, Lord, with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into your glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let me say that again. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Whether you had a great Christmas or there was something of disappointment or maybe it was just really, really hard, my prayer for you, for all of us, is that this new year, be a year marked by growing faith, that we trust and hope not just in what we see, but we get to see the world as Jesus did through the lens of eternity. We don't always know what chapter of God's story we are in, but we know how the story ends, and we know that it's good. And so we walk by faith today and every day in the year before us. Let me pray for us. Holy God, we thank you for the big events of our lives and of the world. Thank you for sending your son into a reality that is still broken and messy. But Lord, we, we ask today, here at the beginning of a new year, we ask for faith to live in between the large movements, in between those big moments when you're active in the world Lord, give us a strong faith, an abiding faith, the kind of faith that you promised could even move mountains. And let it come, Lord, not just when things are wondrous, but when they're ordinary, and especially when they're hard. Lord, we thank you, we love you, we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.